you like conversation on a variety of topics? Feel like no one wants to talk about the things that interest you? Tired of only hearing the same political, sports, or catastrophe talk? Yeah, we feel that way too. Join two high-functioning geeks as they discuss just about anything under the sun. We can't tell you what we'll be talking about each week because we don't know where our brains will take us. It will be an interesting conversation, though, so hang on and join us. Here comes the Relentless Geekery. Yeah, I uh, <laughs> was working on converting some videos um, and looking for a good program to do so. And I asked my kids, because a couple of them are doing some oh, uh, video stuff. Um, and the program that they recommended that I heard others recommend won't run on my computer because my graphics card is too old. <laughs> wow. That's, it's kind of funny. I, I, most of those things really seem to have a, a, uh, like a big back use. You know what I mean? They really don't yeah. want to lose themselves off from, let's see, bring up this light. Does that look? I don't think I'm coming through. Yeah. Uh, it's, it is what it is. It's, I mean, literally my graphics card is 10 years old. So there is a point and I didn't buy the top end $1,500 card. It was like $300 at the time. Right. So I guess I'm bumping into similar things. You know, the new M1 is incompatible with, let's see. Um, okay. He doesn't like the great suspender. Sorry. I'm still, you know, every time that I bring up various different browsers, they let me know that uh, there's add-ons that I like and that, Sometimes they go out of favor. You know what I mean? They haven't been updated and now they're actually dangerous because if someone wants to use the great suspender for attacking you instead of helping you. So, okay. So So I looked, so you know, they always say PC, oh, you can upgrade, you can upgrade. Well, at what point does it just make more sense to buy a new system? Because the motherboards, the slots, everything, the pinouts, they don't stay the same generations to generations. You might have two, maybe three if you're lucky. So I can go buy a used processor. I can put in more memory because it's already got 16 gig and I can get a new video card. Well, not a new video card. I can get an older used video card and I'm going to spend five or 600 bucks for all of that. And it will bring it up to the level of a computer from four years ago. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'll tell you, it really is, you know, amazing. Nowadays, there's there's so much available that you really can get not current where there's a premium on the price, but one or two generations ago that still got 80% of the power for 50% of the price. And I know that they keep on, I don't know, there's very few things that I really try to go with highest quality. Like my monitors are usually the best thing that I can find for the money because I've always read, you know, that's your biggest interface with the computer. You will reduce eye strain if you have a higher refresh rate, if you have a better pixel rate and all that kind of stuff. And especially if you do any kind of, um, video or gaming or anything like that. You really don't want motion blur, all that kind of stuff. So, and and I guess in the overall, it really is amazing to me how much money you can spend to get so much by that meaning it computers are one of those things that, you know, in the course of my lifetime, it's not only, um, you know, Moore's law of the number of processors, uh, number of, chip, you know, whatever chips on a processor doubling every 18 months, the price keeps coming down, and if there's any field that, you know, they haven't done that with cars, they haven't done it with hardly anything else, it's a big purchase for people. And yet, I have incredible might 
on my desktop that back when I was in school, they needed an entire you know, underground laboratory facilities right. you see, you know, in, in old movies with a computer bigger products. than my bedroom. Like that. And, and like the air conditioning to keep all that from not melting down <laughs> because it was all tube and, and like back the Simpsons was, nuclear Holocaust <laughs> like that. You know, I used, when I taught the computer competency course, for I was in the MBA program after being in computer science. And so they said, hey, you know, we have a whole bunch of people from history and sociology that don't know a lot about computers. Would you be willing to share what you know? I used to teach about core memory, you know, like little magnetic disks hanging on wires that you change the relative position by the combination. Like it, it just wow. PCs were just coming out when we had a choice between getting like Apple's or IBM's. It was the old keyboards where you really had to like put your elbow on it to get a key to go down and stuff like that. It just was kind of amazing in, in those years, how much things have advanced. Yeah. And because oh. I've always been in the field, you're very aware of it. And so there's always that temptation of, Oh, it's the latest and greatest. And yet I tend to get much use out of my technology for the dollar. One of the things that I've always loved about Mac minis when they first came out with them was that you didn't have to abandon your mouse, your keyboard, your monitor, your everything, like, like you said, because, oh, no, a new port. Now I have to change everything, a new set of right. ports on the back. I have to get adapters or I have to get – it. it's been wonderful how much I've been able to retain almost all my old equipment and choose when I upgrade my monitors or wait for the monitor to, like, go south and then update it as compared to – I bought many, many $3,000 systems because in order to get everything working together, you had to get that integrated package. And nowadays when I buy my Mac mini for like eight, 600 to $1,200, depending on how you outfit it with the appropriate SSD and SSD, you know, solid state, no longer a hard drive, solid state drive and, and the right amount of memory and stuff like that. It's, it's just amazing that Mac Macs have been, relatively backward compatible and i'm so spoiled by it that now it's like really you're going to make me use thunderbolt i mean they've abandoned any number of firewire and you know they were early to usb very early but now that we've got usb two and three and you can't always tell from looking at the cable which you've got or say yeah. and i i'm very conscious of i need to plug things in then run my diagnostics and say so oh, it's time to finally upgrade that ethernet cable because it really doesn't support 10 100 base t gigabyte and hopefully luckily a lot of the cables are a matter of 20 dollars change instead of nope got to change the entire router anyway anyway (laughs) it's you know the backward compatibility is it's such a farce anymore really i mean it it changed it it, and it's never really been that super uh yes uh you know but monitors we've gone from vga now we got hdmi uh the usb well now we're up to usb3 well Technically, you can plug it in, but it doesn't mean the USB 3 mouse or whatever is going to work in a USB 2 port. And that's not all, you know, everything changes. Which I'm very spoiled is that most of the time when you plug it in, it it degrades gracefully. In other words, it doesn't always, it can't get you the maximum throughput, but it is able to still talk to USB and, you know, all of the, wow, the standards for Wi Fi and how we've been through, like, let's say, you know, F, A, G, H, I, and A, B, and all of it, and, and the and, fact that they still can talk to each other just by doing their little invisible negotiation for what's the best you can support with the appropriate encryption so that right. you're not, you know, spewing to the world, hey, well, look what I'm doing on my computer. It, it's it's important right. that they've had the smarts to say that was the probably the biggest complaint was 
you know, I, I don't want to have to update every bit of, you know, I should be able to do this kind of, you figure it out, Mr. Computer, you who do things, you know, a million times as fast without right. getting bored as a human being, you do the constant renegotiation. And, and that's kind of, you know, my dilemma. This computer is 10 years old. Yeah. All I've really replaced on it, besides a, a mouse and keyboard, is a hard drive, the main hard drive. Uh, but that's no big deal. I took it from the old oxide hard drive to an SSD. So that was a good upgrade. Absolutely. But other than that, nothing's been changed. I've added some hard drives. But so there's the dilemma. Do I spend $500? Because it does everything I need except this one video thing. That's it. You know, I, I can use all my email. I can use all my Word and Excel. I can surf the web. I can put in all my buttons. I have more tabs open than, you know, it should be humanly available. Uh, I run everything on it except this one video thing. So is it worth the, it's not, I don't, I don't even feel it's worth the upgrade to go buy a new computer. Cause my wife's like, well, you know, you've had that for 10 years, go get a new computer. You use it every day. Yeah. But I almost feel like I'm wasting money to do that. Yeah. You know, it's you know, a couple things. Do you subscribe to maximum PC by any chance? No, I don't. There's a great magazine that is all about this. If you're going to do your own upgrading, it really does incredibly detailed, smart reviews of um, here's all the things that are available. Here's the ones that give you the most bang for the buck. Here's the motherboards and various different things that limit you as to what you can do. And so they regularly do like a small, medium, and large build, you know, a very cheap oh, yeah, yeah. high-end build. And I've for many things are compatible for Mac as well as Windows. You know, one of, the, one of my kind of funny, I'm enough of a tinkerer that as I've read this magazine for a long time and only had occasionally a Windows system, a Windows box that I was working with, I kept thinking, you know, I'd be taking much more advantage. And it was only like a $12 a year subscription. So it's not like, hey, for $12, I'll convince myself to spend a thousand, you know, <laughs> right. but it really, they're great about here's the good things and the pitfalls. And like, especially if you're going to do upgrades, there are some things like a video card, you just kind of unplug the old and, un and plug the new if you have the appropriate, as you were saying, yes. the right number of pins and that kind of stuff. Where there's other things like if you're going to do a processor upgrade, pre be prepared to put on your your paste that dissipates heat because this guy runs like, oh man, I'm soldering now. I'm putting right. on the right amount of paste so I don't boil my system over. Right. <laughs> we just had a friend, Larry, that uh, I've I for all that I've tinkered with Windows and stuff over the years, I've never water cooled anything. Because in my mind, it just always was like, that's not a good idea. Any leak ever on yes. electronics will be the, and then the house goes dark and I'm through, the neighborhood. You know? yeah. So even when I've had to do like, um, when they first had the MagSafe attachment for various different laptops where it actually magnetically held onto it, it took a lot of overcoming on my part to say, Everything about little floppy drives, everything about everything about computers, you don't fucking put a magnet near it. Sorry about the effort. It really is like that's just a, a, a hallowed thing. And then they right. find a way to make me uncertain about, you know, is this magnet too strong? You know, it's not like so. The fact they may keep making advancements and make me throw out my rubrics of never do this. Well, now you should, you could. At right. least. I don't know. It, 
Um, they're very good also about like, as they upgrade their rigs, they're very clear about what's the most bang for the buck. And so for a long time, memory was the best thing you could do. You know, even right. a CPU upgrade didn't give you as much as really boosting the memory in your system because right. of the way I, things are designed with multi-chip and everything. I've so, explained that to people. They're like, you know, I want to get this really fast processor. I'm like, okay, but it's going to be sitting around twiddling its thumbs, waiting for the memory in the hard drive. You right. really get a much better system if you put the money into the hard drive and the memory. Yeah. Get, and that's why that's why I can upgrade the CPU. I can find a used one that's an upgrade right. because I didn't buy the top end at the time. So instead of fifteen hundred ten years ago, I can get it for fifty bucks now. <laughs> yeah, and it's funny. There's other you know they really do know how to test used components so that they can see like there are really are you know whatever the mean time between failure for hard drives, if it's a hundred thousand and however they measure that, that it's only like 10,000 into a hundred, I'm willing to buy it. There's other things that just, I'm not sure about if this is an old wives tale or not. Every time you turn a computer on and off, that's the most stress you put onto it. The it sounds right. electricity as compared to leaving it on and letting it go into low power mode, all the energy star things in appliances are a small version of that. But having said that, if you have an, a, a, a used, component i've also often read and heard it's going to fail within the first like 10 minutes or the first week and then if not doesn't fail it's good for the lifetime you yeah. know what I mean? these right. things fail right when you first use them and so when you when you know that someone had this in their machine for three years and now they've upgraded but this thing is still running as long as they didn't let it get watered coated with dust you know have somebody spill a malted milk into their computer etc etc you're you're gonna be okay with using that thing and it depends on how smart they were in taking it in and out right i got i've had my share of i was really careful about uh straps for static electricity and stuff mm -hmm. like that and still like, wow, it really is easy in this world of synthetic fabrics to zap something without meaning to. We run extra humidifiers in our house because there's any number of times that Colleen and I go in to kiss and we get a little zap on the nose. It's like, and I'm pretty sure that our house is not arid. And yet, if it's happening here, I need to make sure that it never happens when I touch my computer to turn it right. off, something like yeah. that, you know? And, and then that's the other thing, you know, I could get a used processor and I've changed them many a time, mm -hmm. but I run that risk that if I, and then my whole system's dead, well, now I have to go get a new one. It, it's, it's more the mindset, you know, is it worth Am I going to get another five years out of it if I spend a couple hundred dollars to upgrade? In, right. And is it worth the performance? Or am I better off just starting to, you know, look at it? Then it comes down to, well, do I buy one that's pre-made or do I get all the parts and put it together? Because you Mac people don't know so much about that. But <laughs> in the PC world, we can. <laughs> Actually, it, it's kind of, you know, that really has changed. As soon as Mac went to Intel, they had all kinds of things you could swap components right. in and out. And so the, I have any number of times upgraded my memory. My They're not really video cards. It really comes with such a good video card or integration on the motherboard that you really didn't need that as much. Whereas there's been things where I upgraded my hard drives, went to an SSD, or, or, um, or actually I got nervous about my ability to do it. And, and also mm -hmm. Macs tend to be, you know, in order to get to that, you're going to have to take out four other components and make sure you keep track of what connector goes to what. And even if they got the YouTube video that shows you exactly what to do, I was willing to say, you know, if I send this off to other world computing and for a hundred bucks, they'll do everything perfectly without fail and i you know i send it away i you know, pine for my little box for a couple or a week or so and then it comes back but otherwise i've always been enough of a hobbyist that it 
wasn't just, can I do it? It was also, I kind of want to, I want to see how things connect. I want to know what's really going on in here. And, and some things they're really miraculous in terms of how much they've compressed things down. You know, you open up a phone or a Mac mini or something like that. And it's amazing the use they they've made of space and how much do they fit any laptop? Everything that isn't componentry is battery. You know what I mean? They've just been able to make these amazing convoluted batteries nowadays, though you get the eight to 12 hours of battery instead of the two and a half that used to be. Yeah. So I kind of like, in my mind, I can visualize what's going on inside the computer and of course not inside the chip, but, but it's, it's just nice to have like, there was a, there's a hobbyist movement that really got stunted maybe like 25 years ago where computer makers started to push back on, um, you're not allowed to do that. You're not allowed to crack open a box. You're not allowed to upgrade components. And then some part of the like American freedom, et cetera, part of me goes, that's ridiculous. You know, if I buy a tractor, you're telling me that I can do nothing except take the tractor to the dealer. And I, I'm not allowed to like know how a spark plug works. And that, that movement really got much pushback. And I guess that's part of the reason I started to do those things was I wanted to be part of that pushback, the make movement. I don't know if you heard of, you know, there's maker spaces, there's make oh, magazine. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I love overall. And maybe this is, this really is a geekiness personified don't you want to know how things work don't you want to know how they pull off this miracle instead of it just being hey my phone talks to the world don't you want to kind of see oh here's the the wi-fi chipset the bluetooth the here's all the different components here's how smart they were with i don't know i i want to know that and i want to be able to feel mastery over things because if i had to I could try to troubleshoot it. I could try to, you know, and nowadays that's not possible. For instance, all my, my gearhead friends from high school and college, they like talk about cars nowadays is you just kind of plug in your diagnostic tool. Everything is solid state electronics. There's no listening to the carburetor anymore. So they really have taken that human element of the seasoned auto mechanic out of the play because they've made everything like, it's better to and, bring them to the shop and have them replace yep. something instead of you and ever troubleshooting anything on your own. Every car has its own slightly different part. So you have to get the part right from them and you only get it from there. And they stuff. have the tools to take it apart. And yeah, well, the, the PC thing clear back. Now this is going back in the day. Uh, Commodore 64 had a really good sound chip for the day. Okay. Um, and somebody offered an aftermarket part. It was a chip that would give it stereo. So you'd actually have two outputs and have two stereo and you could do. So I actually ordered that chip from the back of a magazine, sure. pulled open the case and plugged that chip in. So I was doing it clear back in the day mm-hmm. when I was just barely out of single digit years. <laughs> That's, you know, and it's, I don't know, this is some part of what we often talk about because we're seasoned veterans must seem a little bit wacky to the, the younger people who just like, I just want things to work. But then right. when I see how much they experiment and play with video editing and that they really like to know their tools, it's like, all you've done is taking one virtual step away. Then instead of touching the actual physical thing, you still want to know how your tools work. You want to know what, what the sound is capable of and what the video and like how, how far can your signal it's, 
I think it's just a human nature thing to be some people really want to keep the box closed and just have it work. And if it doesn't work, they just want to pound on a counter somewhere and say, why isn't this? And yes. others are really like, I, I think desert island wise, if I was trapped and I couldn't do without this, I need to know exactly how the coconut processing machine works because I'm not going hungry. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> so, yeah. so speaking of Commodore 64, and you'll you'll love this little tidbit. Uh, you've said you've been watching WandaVision. Yes. Uh, have you? Are you all caught up? Uh, no, I, I'm. I'm oh, okay. This is very funny. I got to the third episode, and the fourth episode, from what I understand, is the big reveal. Uh, right? Is it the fourth or fifth? Okay. I, so I, the, I, one the third one is where they first pull 50, back 60, 60. and show. Fourth the, one is uh, the eighties. Yeah. Okay, so I, that's I haven't I stopped watching until just last night because I saw them pull back at the end of the third episode and show the the zone of right. real world around the dome of Unreal and so it's like and uh, it's kind of this really is one of those shows that if you've read the comic books you have a clue as to what's going on you know that right. Wanda is um mad but incredibly powerful and that she really can say no and scroll back events so that it didn't you know whatever and she's you know. mad in both sense of the term <laughs> both okay. angry and a little <laughs> off her rocker <laughs> exactly i mean that that's the whole basis for the yeah. like house of m and uh, that two years worth of marvel with no more mutants was she has these reality alting powers that are like you know omega level mutant i think is the term they use for right. people that can do these kind of things i can kill the sun i can change the universe you know what i mean but it appears she's doing the no more mutants in reverse that she's bringing mutants into the universe right and and i guess it's so like i said it really um benefits you to know what's going on and i think you get much more satisfaction out of all the they've been very I read early reviews that a lot of people were saying, this is silly. What's going on? Right. You weren't going to give it like three episodes to establish that this might be an interesting thing. People are. So I watched five minutes. I didn't get it. It was stupid. I turned it off. Um, It's an eight episode movie. Yeah. And I I don't know, in so many ways, I'm sad about that. Like you, you kind of know the Marvel brand, you know, that they produce quality stuff. Do you really think that they would just like jump the shark, put something on that's not going to be interesting, at least if not really cool. And yet I saw so many reviews that were like that. And it's like, okay, now I got to find out what are they missing? Cause I'm sure that they're not screwing this up. I'm sure they're doing interesting stuff. Come on. We're we're talking about the same people that when a, a book, I'd say a fantasy book that has dragons and magic in it, right. that it goes up for pre-order. It's not even coming out till July, so nobody has read it yet outside of the writer and editor and whatever. True. And people will go put a one star on it and say, that's stupid to have magic and dragons. I wouldn't read a book like this. That's the same people. Well, and, and unfortunately, that's what it is nowadays, is that everybody has a voice, and not all the voices are at all worth listening to. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I, I mean? So and the fact oh, that— I'm important now. <laughs> yeah. And and I guess that's this is such a great lesson, an exercise in maybe we really need um, true critics, true people that can say— It'll come back. Good, and why it's good, and that kind of stuff. And then instead of people being— how many votes because the Madden crowd has never really been great at discerning quality. They can tell you what's popular, but they really don't always know what's quality. Um, 
maybe this will be a lesson in you, you need to not jump to conclusions. You need to not listen to like the ones who don't know what's going on. Let someone who really has a background in, you name it, comics, cinematography, Marvel, talk about give it like us please, you'll give it three hours are yeah. they episodes or half hour i think they're hour they're, right you know yeah, so, they're between like 25 and 35 minutes ish okay and, and i guess what's weird is we really are maybe in that era of instant gratification yeah and so and what bravery on the part of marvel karen uh Feige, i think it's Feige. i've never said his name out loud before figa Feige. Feige, Feige. Yeah, exactly yeah, that they would say you know Everything you can do anything you want on TV nowadays. It might be that given that they have 500 other channels to choose from, that they'll just turn us off. But if we're going to do this thing that's kind of a reward for the seasoned reader, the viewer, yeah, that really yeah. will get this, we don't have to worry about catering to the lowest common denominator. We can do something that you go ahead and change the channel and stop bothering us, and the cool people will still be watching by episode right. four and go, Oh, how cool is that? And, and, and so. <laughs> man, you, you like just several things there, right, to talk about. So, first of all, going back one second, um, to tie into our computer discussion. So, it's not really a giveaway uh, in the story, but episode five is the 80s, okay. and they're in the office, and they were showing it. You know, the camera back here and people are behind their desk looking at the computer screens. Well, I said, hey, those are Commodore 64s because I recognize the back of the disk drive. And they come around and they were using Commodore 64. So, yeah, how's that? Thank you very much. My son looks at me and goes, give me a break. You know, <laughs> but, so what, what you were just saying, um, we were going to talk a little bit about all the services. But what you said about their choice to put it on weekly I also love it and applaud it. And I wish more places would do that because of the instant gratification. Cause you get anything on Netflix, Netflix started it. This was the big change to the way people watched movies and TV. Ingeability released the entire yeah, season. Exactly. All at once, you know, here's the brand new stranger things. You can watch it all today before the weekend even starts. Yeah. Uh oh, we got an Amber alert. Sorry. I just I just saw that buzzing off over here too. Columbus, exactly. <laughs> um, though. So okay. Here, my problem is the instant gratification, and we've talked about this with my kids, and that they have access to everything ever, <laughs> every yeah. movie, every music, whatever, at their fingertips. They snap their fingers, and it comes up. The problem is there's no enjoyment of it to the level that they can deeply appreciate it. It's like, yeah, so what. Uh, I listened to five albums by sticks today, but they're so good. Yeah, they were okay, but they listened to it, binged it. They were done and they consume the material that way that it's not for the pleasure or enjoyment. It's to consume it. That's it just to consume it. And so it's kind of like Galactus perspective. Yeah. You know, that you're just it, trying to get through as much as yeah. you can instead of, is there anything that's worth a re-listen or anything right. that penetrates? And maybe that is, if something and despite all that does stand out, imagine the momentum that it has to overcome to actually be, oh, I, I kind of want to hear that again. I want to watch that again. That's wild, actually. And, you know? and, and the, but to do that, they sometimes have to do stupid stuff. They have to like totally like blow up the world and this one character does this. You know, it's just like, well, that's kind of stupid, but oh my gosh, I remember that. Well, it's because you just consumed 700 episodes of one manga cartoon. Right. But and that's all you remember. Create your consciousness. It has to yeah. be something even more spectacular. There's all the symptoms of addictive and the reason they call it 
binging and all the kind of stuff is like, you aren't listening to what you've decided to name this. I mean, that's how it's always going to be. You're going to need more and more and more. Right. And the, the little things, the slower things, they're going to get lost. And, they already are in many ways. You you're know? totally missing out exactly what we were just doing and what you were like, like, oh man, I watched this episode. Now I got to wait. And what's it mean? And what's all this going on? And, and you talk about it, you think about it, you dwell on it. It, it, it has much more meaning to you in that way. For all those people that want to binge it, they're like, oh, I won't watch WandaVision because they're not releasing it all once. Okay, fine. Guess what? I'll tell you that WandaVision comes out on the 19th of March because all the episodes will be done. Just go sit and watch them and shut up. Right. You know, you're, you're the one missing out, not me. Yeah. Uh, and I, I have a friend that has often talked about that, that when, you know, I, I'm a big serial fiction reader and so is he, but he will say, you know, if this is a trilogy, I had a bad experience once where someone died before they finished the work and I couldn't stand it. So now I never read anything until it's all out. But, and it's like, but, but you re- you missed 10 years worth of reading it and thinking about it and discussing it with your friend it. and enjoying it. And, and, and I guess, you know, for that anomaly of the one time it happened, you've let yourself be traumatized in a way that you don't get all the other pleasures of reading things as they come out and letting yep. it kind of like percolate in you. You know what I yeah, mean? So, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and I think media and entertainment and content needs that. Um, you know, especially some of the stuff we talk about, we talk about the, the classic rock, the prog rock, uh, and some of those things take uh, rush, you know, Neil Pert died, went on the radar, you know, people went, Oh, rush. And they went and sat and listened to 40 years worth of music. Well, some of that music came out in the seventies and it's way different than the stuff that came out in the two thousands. And to just sit and through it all, you're, you're missing the, the feeling of listening to 2112 and the whole grand epic of what it is. Exactly. And enjoying it, you know, enjoying that bit as it comes. It's like, all I'm going to eat is one whole pie for dessert and then I'm done and the meal sucked. <laughs> well, right. you didn't eat the meal. A piece of pie for eight days in a row or whatever. Right. Else like, and I'll tell you, I've always, it's kind of funny. This is another early on, I guess, you know, I, when I got out of school and had enough money to go to any concert, all the concerts that I wanted to, I still tended to go with, well, who's got back catalog? I went to see Frankie Goes to Hollywood and they actually played one of their songs twice because they didn't have any more to play. <laughs> as much as I liked their music, it was like, well, that's why I go to see Emerson, Lake and Palmer. And yes, right. because they got 10 albums and I'm going to get a whole show. And, and part of the joy is you don't know what you're going to hear. You don't know you're going to just hear the album, the one album they have played in its entirety. They're going to jump around and you're going to be able to say, oh, that harkens back to when they weren't as sophisticated, but the voice was stronger. And so there's really history if you've grown up with these bands to enjoy the fact that that was their much more heavy metal period. Then they got a little more prog then they got a little more folk, you know, whatever it might be. There's, and because bands die, they must get bored just churning the same thing out again and again. So they have had different times where they tried things. They went synth wise and like rush was at one point, you know, Alex kind of said, you know, we're kind of going down a path where, I'm the guitarist and I'm playing like the least. Can we get back to our power idea? And, and Getty kind of said, you know, yeah, of course we can. You know, we're friends. And as much as I'm in love with technology, so much of what rush is, is you and and all of us being equal. And so they really did push back, pull back from being too synth heavy and became more uh, equal contributors again. You know what I mean? And and I, I, I was just reading a really good history of rush. 
uh, okay. Okay. on that. So, yeah. And with, with Neil Peart, uh, Peart, I think it's Peart. I've heard Peart, people correct yeah. me exactly. With him being gone, it really was, well, you know, they're kind of not going to do it. And now I just read that they're willing to, they, they you know, Getty and Alex have known each other forever. It's like since right. they were 13 or something. Yeah, like that. yeah. So they're really hungry to make new music. And then it's like, well, how are you going to do it? Are you really going to audition and get a new drummer? Are you going to have a whole bunch of guest performers? Are you going to do your own drum synthesized drum machine type yeah. stuff? It, it's, there's actual like cool speculation and excitement about how are you going to go? You, you know, you're, you have a very distinctive sound. And of course, Neil was a big part of that. Can you, can you get past the loss of that yeah, talent? For you that band I mean? in particular and those <laughs> yeah. individuals, I, that's a very, very tough question. I mean, I love Def Leppard. Now, Def Leppard, right after the height of their everything, they lost one of their lead guitarists and uh, then replaced them. And now that guy has actually been their guitarist longer. For longer, uh, exactly. Their, their drummer lost an arm. An arm, I mean, exactly. <laughs> and then their bassist actually had Bell's palsy and almost dropped out. So they've had some tragic, but... When they replace the few bands I've never seen, by the way, and I am oh, so really? hungry to see them when I get a chance because I really love their music and just somehow it, the stars have never aligned. Don't that, mean to they, cut you off. I just uh. no, no, that, that's fine. They, I, I've enjoyed their concerts. I've been multiple times. Um, yeah. So th there are just some bands that you can replace people, and it does change the band, but they survive and it moves on. Right. But with Rush. Those three are so strong, a part of Rush, that replacing somebody, especially Neil, because he is such a different drummer and did the lyrics, you know, right? that's rough for me, honest. <laughs> Honestly, I don't know if you've ever seen, there's a great um, documentary called, I think, Beyond the Lighted Stage or something like that, yeah. where they really, you know, talk to the band and, and they, they, it isn't just talking about the band. They actually like the band sits down to dinner and they just kind of film it for the last 20 minutes or something like that. And one of the things that they do is they call Neil. Hey, what do you think about that new guy? And like new guy, meaning he was their second drummer, but that right. was 40 years ago. Right, right. He'll <laughs> always be the new guy, funny. which is their own. Like, that's exactly what people who love each other tease in that way. Yeah. You know what I and, mean? So, right. And, you know, then there's bands like Kiss. I don't think the touring version of Kiss right now has a single original member. <laughs> Probably true. It's a corporate you know, entity. And, and yes, it has become that. And, be like that. When you put on the paint, then you right. can be anybody under the paint that you want, really. Yeah, you know, so. Exactly. <laughs> that would be rough with Rush. I, though, both Alex and Getty have had solo albums, which I've enjoyed. Yeah. So, yeah, obviously, I'll check it out. I mean, I've got their whole catalog. I've right. been to multiple concerts and stuff. That is, I must admit, I don't enjoy either of their solo albums anywhere near as much as the band. Yeah, There's not nearly. Like, I don't know, John Anderson from Yes has a couple great solo albums and, and various other things that we could start going into. But somehow, they just, whatever the dynamic was of those guys working together and like making each other better, egging each other on, you know, challenging each other, that's not... That it's not that the albums are self-indulgent or anything like that. They're just not complete. They're just not as good. Exactly. Right. My favorite earache, I think, right, is Gettys and Victor. Yeah. Anyway, I you know, for 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 a, head, for, a headache, I, I'd have to go look. Yes, it's my favorite headache or my favorite earache or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I just so so uh, reverse back. <laughs> we we right? get off topic on occasion. <laughs> um, so we've talked about all the streaming, and you lamented the fact that you have to subscribe to a million different streaming and now you're like going down and 
fighting the corporate bullet. <laughs> well, what's funny is I didn't really, by that meeting, I, I'm, I'm occasionally a fool. I've had AT&T, you know, fiber to the house for years now. You know, soon it was available. One of the joys of living in Lakewood is it's a high density population. I think the highest density between New York and Chicago, I've heard said. It really? Times. Yeah. And, and they have it available. And so because Colleen works at home, I work at home. Um, we we got it and and like the dollars for it were a little bit more expensive but man once you have gigabyte internet it it's it spoils you yeah. having said that any number I of things know. nowadays in order to get people not only the first crazy early adopters like me but to get it adopted by the public is they start throwing in extras well at one point they added hbo max to it I had no idea. So I probably have missed a year worth of knowing that I had HBO, of not knowing I had HBO Max, even though it was available. And so, of course, once that for free door opened, all I had to do was go and sign up and say, hey, here's my AT&T phone number. Right. All of a sudden I had Doom Patrol, Titans, like 10 shows that I immediately put into my watch queue because people had talked about, hey, have you seen this? It's like, don't get HBO. Didn't get Game of Thrones. While it was going on, I had to wait until it was on disc and get it through Netflix and stuff like that. So I think that as long as I have AT&T fiber, I have this for free. Whereas others nice. have like a six-month teaser, and then you have to decide if you want it. And that's what I just embarked on. Besides the, um, th this is actually a, a little bit of a geeky story worth telling. So I go to the Baltus vaults to do my comic book collection and the Baltus vaults are a storage facility. I make fun of it by it being, Oh yeah, you know, Creek opened the massive door where the trolls are guarding it, but it's a big Faraday cage, right? It's all metal and concrete. And so early on I couldn't get, there's, there's, traces of Wi-Fi signal around from like the restaurant nearby, the auto repair place nearby, but I could not get reliable signal. So I've been having to use my phone as my Wi-Fi hotspot to be able to get out to the um, comic book site, the collectors, you know, with a Z.com that, that really is useful. It really has, it's encyclopedic and all the stuff that it has. I though having said that my collection is weird and extensive. And I've a number of times had to say, I have to add this to your massive database because you don't have this issue of this particular wow. thing in here. I'll take a little snapshot of it so that you'll have the picture of, um, cryptics number two or whatever else it might be. But getting back to Knowing that I had to use my Wi-Fi hotspot, I, for a long time, Colleen being on the road and my being at home, um, almost eight, always we've been able to get to Wi-Fi instead of having to worry about having unlimited data plans. We just, we weren't the people that exhausted data via rich media. We didn't listen to a, a lot of music. We didn't watch a lot of t uh, movies or TV on our phone. We pretty much use it as a phone and for data access. Right. As you might imagine, unfortunately, my accessing the comic book database, there's enough rich media, the cover's coming over so that I have it in my database and I can confirm that this is indeed, you know, Iron Man now has volumes one through seven. When I want to put Iron Man number 39 in, I really need to know that it's volume one, two, three, four, five. And, and I, so just now, well, you know, you start tapping into the internet all the time through a Wi-Fi connection and even your 10 gig of data that I had on my plan was gone and often gone. And then if you have to pay for extra data, it's like 15 bucks for another gig. And it's like, I can't believe that I have, my plan is that, I don't know, maybe like $900 or something like that. And then I'm going to pay another 15% for one more gig because I've been so industrious in getting to my collection. And so we finally, finally went to an unlimited plan between 
Colleen, she's currently not traveling, but when she is traveling, she often uses also, depending on what client she goes to, she needs to have her hotspot. And, you know, this is kind of funny. We really had times where, okay, you just had to do a big presentation, or I just did a gig at a, a Mensa gathering where I didn't have good hotel Wi-Fi because I did it in the conference room, but it's only in the lobby, it, you know, the or Wi-Fi. It, it's, it's silly, but the world is really weird about how they're just, even if it could be, let's blanket the world and everybody have Wi-Fi and be done with it. No. Somebody said, well, if I can carve that world up and make it so there's different rental prices, depending on where you are, I can still get in there offering no value, except I'm the gatekeeper. I'm the guy right. that built the goddamn castle on the goddamn river. So now that we're back to where she might be traveling again soon, depending on vaccination, and I'm having to do the vaults thing. We finally went with an unlimited plan and that was a <laughs> journey of, you know, they have different gradations of that where they're moving to 5G. And so they offer that, but our phones are not yet 5G. It will be the reason that we eventually move. Right. I don't know how well it's rolled out to Cleveland in general versus the world. And in a lot of ways, it's like, are we really going to stick with Verizon? Or are we going to go with T-Mobile, which touts itself as having the most extensive 5G network? But sometimes when they talk about most extensive, it means, Yep. New York, San Francisco, Chicago, Cleveland somehow seems to be like the third round of getting 5G right. or any other technological advance. Most extensive, meaning we went one mile further out of New York. Exactly. And I don't know, I don't want 5G when I'm hiking in a national park, but Colleen goes to some places where it's the equivalent of going to a national park. She's in the wilds of Pennsylvania in the hills where they thwart signal. You know what I mean? You got enough hills and mountains and things in the way, but she needs to be able to use mapping to be able to not get lost and be able to do things that she's often when she's driving in between clients, she's on the phone, keeping her job going and et cetera, et cetera. So when I investigated those various different packages and I were going to get the 50 to 90, you know what I mean? The level of, and, and of course now it's not a bundle, now it's per line. So there was a certain amount of, well, how much more, more are we willing to pay for? But then you kind of scroll down and you say, oh, besides getting the 5G and the hotspot and the things we really need, oh, they got this bundle of <laughs> everything you want. Discovery plus, not HBO Max, I'm um, sorry. Uh, why am I bl blacking on it? Um, Hulu. And uh, the big one, Disney, Disney Plus. So since I'm getting it anyway, and I have the choice as to am I going to which plan am I going to get? I added the one that has those things, and so it really paid off. For instance, when we were watching the Super Bowl this Sunday, not only did we watch the Super Bowl, <laughs> I really love the Puppy Bowl. I think it's just the most ridiculous, silly, fun thing. And who carries the Puppy Bowl? Animal Planet slash Discovery. So I was able to watch the hell out of the. <laughs> puppy bowl on Monday, having just extended it, you know, my unlimited, you know, myself into unlimited space. So I had that available. And then same as going to HBO Max, I go on to Disney Plus. And of course, Disney now owns Pixar and Marvel and everything else. So it's like, oh, here's all the WandaVision, other yes. series that I've been hungry for. And I've had to, as you know, if you care about this you can't help but like it attracts your eye while you're reading and then of course the jerks are let me just give you every spoiler in the universe as i watch each yeah. episode it's like damn it so i knew that there was something going on three episodes of what the hell's going on and then a big reveal in number four or five as you're saying and and so it's like well i kind of got to catch up before it really gets spoiled and gone and so that's kind of why i did it but it really is, having said all the very practical consumer reports aspects of, I made sure I got my money's worth and I did it for all the practical reasons. But then 
you open the vault door and you've got, here's all the Marvel I've been missing. And I'm like, how much do I need to sleep? How much do I need to like right. work on this important front of me while I have the Marvel thing running over on the side monitor? Like, I got two like monitors. I, like <laughs> I told you, I mean, we've had the CW with all their great DC shows. Okay. Uh, and right now you can get those a year behind on Netflix. So okay. that, that's cool. Yeah. But HBO is adding all the other DC stuff. And there's things they're adding, Doom Patrol and yeah. uh, Swamp Thing and stuff like that. And then uh, H or Marvel is on Disney, and this year alone they have so many. I mean, just before the first quarter is out, we've got WandaVision and a Winter Soldier and um, Falcon. Falcon. I just saw the, they had that yeah. as a Super Bowl ad. It's still, hey, this yes. is coming out, and it's like, now I get to see it. How cool! Yes. <laughs> so if you would have waited too much longer, you really would have been behind. And honestly. I'm questioning how much they're going to come out with this stuff on DVD. It seems like DVDs for TV shows have been slipping over the past couple of years. I wonder as long as they've got streaming and those numbers don't drop and they don't need Why to get every money? single dollar out of everything they do. And if anything, there's always been that, you know, th that if you can create artificial scarcity, Disney as a company has been excellent as that. Oh. They don't just like um, keep putting new things out. They take old things off the well, market and let yeah. demand build so, so that, well, here's their marketing plan. It's like, hey, kids, you love this movie. You love this cartoon. It's wonderful. Well, we're going to take it away from you. So parents, if you don't want to have them screaming, you better get it now. I mean, that's really their marketing plan is making parents go, oh, shit, go get it right now. I don't want to listen to the kids <laughs> in a very cynical way. Analysis that that's been that's a time honored thing every yeah. for for. I don't know, 20 years running, they seem to have the hot toy of the Christmas. And what yeah. they do, of course, is they don't make as many Furbies as they could possibly sell. They make like half the number and they wait for the parents to get desperate because little Susie has to have her Furby and little Billy has to have his cabbage patch doll or whatever else it might be. And then not only do they get that sale eventually, they so first, because they're not available, the parent ends up getting not only one or like two or three other things to make up for the fact that I looked everywhere, but I could not get rock'em sock'em robots for you. And so they get more spending at Christmas. And then when they finally do release, Hey, we finally caught up with production in February. They get another near guaranteed say, right. and that that's and a, a, a scheme they've had running. For it's decades. Not, now it's not even the parents getting it for the kids. It's all the collectors going, Ooh, that's rare and scarce. I'm baby, going to baby. beat out all the old ladies and parents so I can get five of them and put my kids through college. <laughs> that's, I hear you. <laughs> you so, know, go ahead. Go ahead. I just, every time that I've seen that thing happen of, Beanie Babies, you know, worth hundreds of dollars. That's crap. It's like, as I sit there collecting my comic books, you know what I right, mean? Yeah, yeah. more value. But I've always thought that it did. One of the reasons that I love comics was instead of a Beanie Baby or a coin or a stamp, we're like, okay, I bought this coin and I look at it and then I flip it over and look, it's got another side and then I'm done with the coin. Whereas right. the comic book really has a whole story. There's real juice to it. There's really something cool about it as well as it being collectible. So that's how I've often justified why I collect comics. <laughs> sure. Whatever works for you, whatever lets you sleep at night. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? You know, you have, I don't think I have an addictive personality in terms of self-harm, but I know that I have the desire to have one to N of whatever I do like. I love right. having the complete collection and comic books. There just seem to be more to, if I have all the stories that I really have read 
kind of this wonderful tale over the course of time, as opposed to I have every one of the 50 state quarters and then I have in my nice five by 10 display and it really is cool. I get that it's cool, but it isn't for me. It there's not much stir me. Like there's comics. not much life you know? beyond the collecting of the coin. I've got the coin. There's my coin. Look at my coin. We're done with the comics. You've got so much more with it. That's, That's really what I've always thought and how I justified, you know, that. And, and having said that I've always hated where they go, and I, I, like I said, I'm, I'm, I go into the vaults. I just went through um, Avatar Press. There were two or three places in like the 90s that were terrible about, well, you got your cover and then you got your wraparound cover and then you got your platinum edition and then you got your oh. sketch cover. And hey, we brought in uh, Lee Bermejo to do a special version. <laughs> I saw one that went from A to I. Nine no, separate no, 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 no. That's, that's no, nothing not. nowadays. Colin works at the comic book store, remember? Oh, yeah. They now are getting into custom or um, individual covers, special covers that go to AA, BB, CC. They're, they're wrapping around the alphabet. They're making covers for some of this stuff, 50 different covers. But some of those covers you can only get in certain parts of the country. I, see, I, and I've, I've started to see that where it was yeah. a retailer incentive and they sent them out sprinkling yeah. them amongst the retailers. And, and if you were their best customer like I was, I got a copy of that. You can you couldn't you can request that. Adam's mm-hmm. Comic Book Store, they are signing up to order a special store only cover. So this special cover of some issue, you can only get at Adam's comic book shop. See, so like, the reason for talking about it was, I think that's terribly manipulative oh by God, that meaning. Yes. What did I just say? What do I like about the comic is that I get the story. Did the story inside change for every one of those BB covers, 28 F and oh, don't even nope. give them the idea. They're oh. going to start putting a special one page in every different cover. Right. So ending like the clue movie. Yes. So you have to buy all five. Yes. Editions don't even give them oh, that idea. God. Damn you. <laughs> so I, that's, that's the bad side of now that they know that most comic book sales are to in indeed to collectors, not to yeah. your, your casual Kids buyer, if you readers. will, boy, do they, I don't think cater to it. Is it all right? The word they exploit that terribly and i i'm glad like i usually got the wraparound cover because i thought well that's a cooler big picture i you know i i like having more that the back cover isn't just advertising or something like that and if the back wraparound cover was more scarce than the regular cover well good for me but i didn't do it for that reason i didn't do it to my value i did it because i liked the visual of it Nowadays that they seem to be doing that, that here's the movie edition cover. Here's the live photo cover. Like I, I could just start babbling and I would be naming the different kind of, kind yeah. of pardon me, kind of covers that people have. Well, it's the, terrible. The, the, the Scotty Young cover, the Kirby cover, well, the, yeah, yeah. the homage yeah. cover. Everybody has yeah. to have the hero carrying the dead superhero in their arms sometime in the course. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. oh, well, I, so that's my awareness of when that started by going back to doing like nineties and two thousands and the various different uh, eras of comic books. It's like, you know, after the black and white implosion, you know, they had all kinds of things coming out, but it was all about incredible weird creativity that all of a sudden everybody could do a comic book and you could get it printed from the Canadian printer where it was cheap. And it, like, if you sold 2000 copies, you could kind of make a living off of it. And then 2000 compared to a hundred thousand copies was kind of like built in scarcity. So I have, all kinds of old, cool, odd, nobody else was buying this but me covers. But I was supporting the artist and the company by doing that instead of I'm getting milked. I'm just getting terrifyingly abused by, and I, I guess I never got on that train. 
I never tried to get every single possible cover. Yeah. When, when I have doubles of things, it's because I thought this is a number one and it might have value sometime in the future. But it never occurred to me to say, if I cover all these various different covers, I'll be able to, I don't know, have, I'll, I'll cover every scarcity possibility. It, it, well, that I was already spending hundreds of dollars and I didn't want to spend thousands of dollars kind of like was a self-limiting thing of I'm just not buying. I'm not getting on this train. But that's also because, like you said, you enjoy the comic, the medium, the art form, the story. These people nowadays, uh, just give me all those covers. I'll put them in bags and put them away. I'm not going to look at them for 30 years. I've never read a single issue. Yeah. You know, that's, go collect coins. <laughs> you know what? It, it, boy, it really is worth saying this. As much as I intend to, now that I have things that are valuable, I really do intend to get them, you know, appropriately pressed and graded and sell them because it's kind of like part of my retirement plan. But it really hurts me to say I'm locking this thing away forever and that part of the enjoyment of the next guy is not going to be they open Iron Man, you know, Tales of Suspense number 39, and they read the first Iron Man story. Not the retelling, not the reprinting, but like, Here's this wonderful time capsule piece of history. And I'm taking that away from people by optimizing my value. And I've seen there's a little bit of a backlash. Some of the places specialize in what they call raw. You know, they'll post things on eBay. They'll purposely say, I just won't do it. You decide whether you think it's worth spending close to what you think the speculated value of. I'm an unsophisticated grader. I'm not CGC. I take it back. I'm, I am a sophisticated grader because I got 40,000 comics. So I really know what value, what condition, et cetera, things are in. But I don't have the guarantee that comes with that. And in exchange for that, you actually get to read it. And if it is that I get 10% less than what I could have gotten, but it re- I didn't have to go through all the overhead of getting it pressed and graded. And like somebody found, we just talked about rent takers, man, CGC found a way to buy into that collector's greed and say, if you let me certify this for you, I'm going to get 30% of the value of it just by the fact that I've given you this guarantee. And so some part of me is like, well, if I sell it for less than, you know, 10% less than what it's supposed to be worth, but I didn't pay anybody 30% to guarantee that it's worth that. I'm really working that out in my mind for maybe I need to do the, you know, the whole collector's thing for like my top 10. And that's where yeah. I'll make a ton of money. And right. everything else just kind of like be a good guy, be true to my hobby, be, that I'll let somebody else share the risk with me instead of I've taken all the risk out of this equation. I've I've spent money to take the risk out for you. I took all the risk on let's share this risk. You know, you, (laughs) I I was talking to uh, Dave Plattel uh, and he was saying before the pandemic, he was going to go to the library and read to kids like once a week. You once we're done with the pandemic, you should do that with comics, go read comics to kids at the library. You know, I, I didn't do it with comics, but way back when, when I was living in Chicago, that's one of the, the things that I did early on. It, it, it's kind of funny. I guess I have like, you want to give back to the world, right? I'm a good reader. I'm making a little bit of money. I, I signed on with one of the programs in the North, Northwest suburbs of Chicago that once a week I did that. And it, it didn't last because their schedule started to not match mine and stuff like that. But it was wonderfully satisfying to be like I did do the voices I did do where it wasn't just drone reading. I really tried to make it that they'd get into the excitement of it. And I enjoyed if you're reading something that you love, it's really cool to be, boy, this is really well written. This is really good. Like while you're reading it, you're going, no wonder I fell in love with this. This is a great book. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, 
Okay, so comic book stories. Let's let's go back a sec. Um, the the all the streaming that you now have gotten coming into your household. Right. So for I know my Doom kids Patrol. don't get this. Doom Patrol, Doom Patrol. <laughs> <laughs> but when TV started, it ran for a couple hours a day and shut off, and, and, shut off. and that was the end of it. Uh, by our time, you were able to watch TV through most of the night on most of the stations. And we only had three, so it wasn't right. like a lot of choices. They never had the sign-off with the flag at the end of the thing. Yeah. You actually I, had I do still remember that. I may have a videotape with that on it somewhere. Um, you didn't get the farm report first thing in the morning either, where you learned what a pork belly was because right. you turned on the TV too early. Anyway. Right. <laughs> and then it went to, uh, you got cable. And you had the premium stations, which I didn't have when I was a kid. It wasn't until much later. Yeah. And on those that you would get like TNT showed old, old movies, but the premium stations showed more, much newer movies and they would show lots of movies. And right. then and encore presentations, you didn't have to get home by eight o'clock to watch something. Yes. They'd have it at eight and 11 and at yes. two. And if you were a night owl, like I was, it was like, man, I hardly ever watched something during prime time. I always did other things. And then. Because that was up late. Right. That, okay. So yep. so then at, sometime after my kids were born, we got the on-demand where we were able to go on and watch a movie. Not a good choice, but not everything. Now th- everyone's got the streaming and, and it's been a big cable cutting thing through the past couple years, right. cutting the cable. And I've said, I said, you know what? It's going to come back around because, and every service has started to do this before I got Netflix. I could watch everything. Well, now everybody's going, well, we're going to take it off Netflix and put it on our own. So it's you've got creating exclusives. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And so you can't see everything unless you subscribe to everything. Yeah. And now the cost is going right back up as much as cable has ever been. I think somebody's going to come up with in a somewhere, maybe, you know, AT&T or something that, Hey, subscribe to AT&T. And we'll give you all these stations and it'll be just like having cable a bundling. Honestly, whenever you think about there's patterns in history about centralization and decentralization about individual versus bundling, that's exactly what happens. The pendulum just swings back and forth and you wait for that pain point of, you know, I don't, I, I, I get 120 channels, but I don't watch them all. Let me pick the ones I want. And then they start charging you for each channel. It's like, well, now I'm not getting enough because you are charging me too much for each. So can I just get a whole bunch of stuff and I get to choose and, that is time honored. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's okay. and the great thing like with Disney, cause they have the Smithsonian channel on there. So there's a lot of great shows with that and they have the Marvel star Wars. So it's almost like, and Pixar. So it's almost like these separate channels all into one almost. Exactly. HBO is putting all the DC stuff on there. So again, it's like DC and HBO movies and HBO TV shows. So you are, but the, the worst one. And I've, I think I've said this before, CBS, is has not figured it out yet they're cheap uh five bucks a month i believe but they don't offer all their shows uh when you do that so you in the newest stuff some of the shows you get all the episodes some of the shows you only get the latest five and then some of those shows they don't have the past seasons at all some of the shows they do (laughs) and and so just that whatever you know there really are all those like 
supermarket tactics. You know what I mean? Like, hey, we're going to get a loss leader to get you in the door and then try to upsell you or try to like get you to do an impulse buy. And there really are people that are like, well, if I can get it for five bucks, I only get five episodes. Still a good deal. Yes. It, it drives the completists crazy. It drives the historians crazy. But there really are people that for five bucks, if that's what I get, I'm kind of okay with that. Um, it, But it, I always have hated the people that did that kind of using a pretty basic thing of if you're going to watch a show, don't you want to see every episode? Well, now that we've given you these five for low, now we're going to jack you up. It really is oh. the addiction thing of like, first one is free. And well, now that we got you, now we're going to juice you for it. CBS has a whole it. lot of shows that I like. So I might pay a bit more to see all the past episodes of the 10 shows or whatever that I, they don't even offer that it's $5 and they just have some of them. It's kind of like they rolled the dice and I, it's like, in today's world, that's not how you do it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, My impression of all kinds of like, doesn't Hulu do that, that they have a selection of various different things, but they do, if they have, um, let's see, Castle, I've been wanting to watch Castle, but then they don't have all the castles. They have like a couple seasons and even a couple episodes out of those seasons. Yeah. It's like, how do you even make that choice? How do you, how do you, you know, is well, it just random? Is it darts I in the dark? It's, it's some sort of, uh, they had a guest star or they had a, um, some particular music and the contract doesn't allow that to be elsewhere. Boy, howdy. That's a great way yeah. to think about it. You know what I mean? I, Cause I know that there's um, cuts on albums that when you buy them digitally, they're gone because yeah. there's some kind of legal dispute going on. Whereas on the physical thing, I don't care what you guys are battling it out in the courts. I still get to hear lonely wind by Kansas <laughs> because it's physically on the CD or whatever right. else it might be, that's, you know? So there's another argument for buying it direct <laughs> instead of exactly. how many times do you go on Spotify and you see one song grayed out of an album like that. And, 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 and I guess I, I'm the curious part of me goes, well, why is that? Is it because somebody's disputing it so that, that they, whatever they, instead of buying the entire album's rights, they did it song by song. And for some reason that got more airplay. So they made it cost more. And then the, the, the supplying company said, nope, we're not doing it. And so yeah. all their fans are then, or, you know, or abused. A company like Nike <laughs> bought exclusive rights for some song for the next 10 years. So exactly. nobody else allowed to you know, yeah. have it. Slicing and dicing of rights is so evident when you see all the, the rebundlings that are being done for a while. It was like Rhino, maybe a couple of companies that were really good at finding older artists work and getting the rights to it and then putting out a really nice box set with like a libretto. It's a little thing of here's the history of Buffalo Springfield or whatever else it might be. And nowadays it seems that people buy those rights for like five years, sell the heck out of it. It really might be a nice repackaging, but it's not more than that. And then the rights go to somebody else. And then a new version of that comes out. And now they'll sweeten the pot with a couple B sides and live versions. Right. It's like, I just bought the five CD and now I'm going to get another five CD, but I got, I, if I want these, they've been doing that for a long time, yeah, that yeah. whole you know, and, and sometimes bands do it themselves. You know, Marillion is really great about capturing live concerts and that kind of stuff, but they've also done their rebuttling of their own albums where while we were making Brave, here's all the other stuff that we were working on in the studio, or here's things that were the radio friendly things that didn't make it onto the album. And and so it's kind of cool to be able to have that rarities and have it be that the band gets it as opposed to some rebundler, you know, which is a little bit parasitic. But but having said that, someone took risk. They said, you know, I don't know how much people still care about Def Leppard, but if I buy rights to their first five albums and put that out as a box set, and then I, whatever the calculation, the algorithm that they have that says, 
odds are good <laughs> that we're going to be able to reissue this and sweeten the pot a little bit and people will rebuy it. So I've been just recently, I think I mentioned, you know, I've been, Amazon has made, I'm trying to think if there's even a particular company or if it's just become a whole new thing. There's all kinds of box sets that are like five albums from this artist. And if they're right. an extensive artist, there's like four or five album sets from Chicago or somebody that's had a lot of stuff. Um, Billy Joel. And like, I already have six out of the 10, but it's like, well, if I want to get them and it's only four bucks a CD because these box costs less than $20, it's worth getting them to just complete my thing. If I was trying to get the four that I was missing at seven bucks a pop, I'm already spending 28 bucks versus 20. So the the cheapy in me, the completest in me, all those things are worked. Well, I think <laughs> you mentioned Def Leppard, and that's actually interesting because they only recently were able to put their music on streaming because the record company still owned the rights and, and the, the record right. company refused to put it on streaming and Def Leppard couldn't do a thing about it. So what they ended up doing was they took some of their biggest hits. They re-recorded them in 2012, brand new recordings and released them on streaming. And, and then oh, when they finally, that, that it's theirs, yeah. but it's a new recording. That's what a great, uh, you know, reply to, yeah. if you're going to keep ours in the vaults, we're still us. We can yeah. still do this. Okay. Exactly. And they also have very much bundled and compressed and done multi-album box set stuff, but they've done it like the Def Leppard early years and it contains a booklet from the uh, tour and it contains a poster and it contains yeah, I love that stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And actually I've eyed it and uh, Gina's looked at it and said, would you like that? I'm like, well, I've got all those albums, but you know, there's some new stuff. <laughs> so, and, so I think what you're talking about is I'm betting some of these older artists, they've never digitized the old music and the record company still owns the rights. So they're putting it together. Th some third company said, Hey, you know, we'll do all the work and give you whatever percentage. I hope that's the case. Exactly. Yeah. That comes out as the authorized, you know, re-release or something right. like that instead of exploitative. And as you know, the United States is not the only place doing this. So I know I've had things that were like, is this like from the streets of that, that what, what is it? The Ginza Avenue. I'm trying to think in Japan where there are copies of everything far uh, beyond copyright copies. How <laughs> and, many uh, <laughs> uh, Japanese import CDs do you have? Because they always have a different version than the album released in the States. I think that's true. Exactly. And, and is it because they, they took copies off the airwaves and then just rebundled them? The order has changed, uh, whatever uh, else it might be. I'm not sure. uh, Mr. Big was a band I liked. Um, and they had several albums released in Japan, but not in the States. And I then a couple, that. Okay. a couple yeah. of the albums they had released in the States that were released in Japan had like one song taken off with a different song replacing it. And then another song added on. And it's like, well, dang, now I want that. For, you know, I want that <laughs> album too. Uh, so I've purchased several CDs and I don't think they're the illegal on the street versions. I, I think it's actually what was released in Japan. And I know uh, they've done not Mr. Big, but other bands have done that in England, you know, because they have different tastes and songs that make it big here aren't always big there. And there's like Kylie Minogue, you know, she's got like 12, 13 albums out over in England. And she's we only like, know one year of her that exactly. she changed from Australia to the States and then she right. went away. You know, right. so exactly. You know, so <laughs> sometimes you got to, you know, order the, but the cool thing is you can nowadays. It's a lot easier than going to some, uh, which, 
is an experience we miss, but going to one of those shows where people would have a booth set up and you'd be digging through the bootleg CDs, you know, looking for stuff. It's kind of funny. I really have never done that. I really never wanted to buy boots because I really didn't want the artist to not get the value of their money, but someone that was in the audience with the tape or or some company unscrupulous or whatever else it might be. And having said that, the one time that I did break down was I found a 10 LP Frank Zappa box set once at some music store and and so many things i had never heard a live version of this and that and this before and i just you know sorry frank i own all your albums i own all this music already but for this these live versions of mud shark and stuff like that i just uh i'm gonna i'm gonna let it go for this uh, one thing (laughs) uh, grateful dead were pioneers in that they encourage yeah. people to come Boot with leggers roll those tapes exactly set up an area it's like hey here's a good area to record bring your you know as i mean they really right. pioneered it and i, you can't I totally it. agree they they yeah. weren't gypped i mean you know yeah. and yeah. and now what can they do everybody's got a phone I, you could record the whole thing that so which is good and bad. I mean, I think that's some of the downfall for poor musicians. You know, you play something on Spotify and they like, oh, you listen to 12 songs. We'll give them a penny. <laughs> you well, know? Honestly, boy, you know, that's we really could make a whole show out of this. You know, yeah. I've been listening to music and buying recorded music for a long time. And it really has been through all those generations of artists getting totally killed by their label where they get charged for everything. They end up having a million selling album, but they made like two cents because everybody got paid before they did. Then artists started to get wise enough about it, but sometimes they went too far. Remember like Pearl Jam had it that, Hey, we're not going to allow ticket sales to be the craziness of Ticketmaster and Ticketron. But then they were fighting a huge beast of a thing and they're truncated because they, 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 the monopolist just said, you make your little protest and we'll outweigh you. We got 30 other concerts, 3,300 other concerts going on this summer. So I always admired Robert Fripp from King Crimson because he was one of the earliest guys to say, this is an untenable deal with any record label. If they don't let you retain rights to your own music that, that, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So when he started discipline global mobile to make sure that everything coming out from King Crimson was from him and he wanted to be like, and Steve Vai has the same story. He wanted to be a musician, but you had to learn to become enough of a businessman and enough of a hard-ass or hire hard-ass lawyers so that you didn't get as totally raked over the coals as everybody that came in all dewy-eyed at 18 and said, don't worry, my my wonderful happy-go-lucky record producer will take care of me. He wasn't happy-go-lucky. He was totally calculating about how he locked you in for the first five albums, et cetera. And, and you know, also learning that uh, and yes. getting that opportunity now. Yeah. And you mentioned that about being screwed over i remember it was like 2008 before the record revolution came back that tom petty sued a&m records i think he was with or one of those guys but uh he sued them because in his contract he was losing like 15 percent to cover broken records during shipment and right. like, what? like what did that have to do with his rights He's like, we don't even ship records why am i giving you 15 percent when it's not ha-? so i remember that being one of the things that happened a lot of good stories came out about him that there was actually an entire album that if i remember right i wish i could name it offhand it was one of his best-selling albums but they really had that whole game of chicken that brinksmanship of the record company demanded a certain deal and he wasn't going to give them the materials unless it was that his contract got the things of i'm the artist i retain rights etc etc and he really was going to like take the year the two years out of his life and just 
trash it as opposed to giving it to the record company. And if I remember right, one of the songs on that album is I Won't Back Down. So now we'll, now we'll be able to find out which album it is. But it, he, he, uh, you know, he had all the cautionary tales. He was an admirer of John Fogarty. John Fogarty got totally screwed over by his label with Creedence Clearwater Revival. A guy named Saul Zaints, if I remember right here, uh, you know, sorry, from what I understand, rumor wise, don't sue me, libel me, slander me, et cetera, et cetera. But he really did totally put the clamps on them for having signed away the rights early. And Fogarty wouldn't even perform all the old CCR music in his concerts for a long, long time, because when he did it, he didn't get the ASCAP BMI payment. Saul Zaints, his slave master did. And so until finally Zaints died or they cut a new deal or whatever, we, I saw him on the first tour where he actually was playing old CCR music and he hadn't done it in like 30 years and I, it's kind of funny. I often tear up about these things. He, he kind of introduced every single song with like a tear in his eye because, buddy, I've missed you. I, yeah. <laughs> my principal didn't allow me to share. Oh, you know, oh my God. It was so all a great the, show. <laughs> the, all the negative things that we talk about and we see with the world, with uh, the binging and, and so much stuff that the kids listen to, but it's not a big deal. Um, there's a lot of good that's coming of it too. Artists and musicians, authors, everything, getting control of their, their stuff. And the, I mean, some of the big names in publishing are able to make a deal. JK Rowling, she said, okay, I'll give you the ebook rights or no, I'll give you the print rights, but I'm keeping ebook. And at the time they were like, yeah, sure. Whatever. And now she's made a mint. Others are doing the same thing. They're like, well, I'm only giving you the rights for the foreign translation in Poland, but no other rights for the paperback, nothing else, you know? And, and they're, and, and instead of the publishers and the agents and everything, music publishing and everything else. Yeah, no going, blanket of rights. Yeah. yeah, yeah they're, they're, instead of saying, well, no, we're not doing that. They're like, okay, well, we'll, we'll do it, I guess, because that's what everybody's starting to do. Yeah. If not, it's like, well, who cares? I'll just put it out myself. <laughs> right. It's, it's kind of funny. I mentioned Marillion earlier. They really are one of the pioneers, if not the earliest, with we – got dropped by our label even though we just had a good selling album we still have lots of music left in us we know we've got a rabid fan base the internet exists let's see what happens and so they put things out saying hey sponsor our next album you'll get a re you know, early release copy and you'll get extra cuts that nobody else does and we'll actually have you at our next concert in the special cool people section and if i remember right it might have been with Maybe it was Brave, an early album of theirs where it was no label at all. It was them and the fans making this deal. And they've now done a dozen, 20 albums where they've done, you know, sponsor us, trust us. And honestly, they've continued to make great albums. It wasn't like, hey, um, I'm trying to think. Maybe Aerosmith was one of the ones where they that didn't sell to the fans, but they sold to their label, you know, we're, you sell stock in us. We're going to give you our next 10 albums. Give us all the money up front. And then none of their albums after that have been as good as whatever the height of that was. Whereas David Bowie did a similar thing and continued to make great albums. So it's kind of cool that the capitalist marketplace has room for the trust me people versus the, I want you to take care of all that. I just want to make music people. Right. You know what I mean? And, and all of those things, you know, exploit me for five years, then I'm going to retire. I don't have to make any money after this. Well, that's <laughs> so, uh, you know totally what Kickstarter does. It yes. allows, and I've done a lot of board games through Kickstarter, but board games of companies and people I've known mostly, but it's 
basically the Kickstarter, I get way more game for the money than I would at the store. And it's essentially giving them the money to finish making it. So it does get produced and put out in the store. So they're already crowdfunding is such a fantastic thing to break down that barrier, to remove all the middlemen from those equations and say, I want this album to exist. I want this game to exist. I've sponsored like, how did I get to know Ted Sakura? Because I was one of the early guys that said, boy, this stuff is great. So let's, uh, I'm going (laughs) to, I, we got to send him another message and say, "Hey, uh, you about ready to talk? We're like mid February here." He's, he's kickstartering right now, and from what I understand, he had one of the best openings, if not the best, he's ever had. And so I just it, it, this is uh, I I hope you don't mind. This is very self-aggrandizing in a way, but long ago, this would have been like eighty two, eighty three. I had a guy I worked with at the Office of Resource Analysis where I had my assistantship at University of Illinois um, during grad school, a guy named Phil Musser, and he was brilliant musician-wise, and yet he had had to stop being a musician because wife, children, time to be a responsible adult, and he'd become kind of a very smart technical analysis for, you know, how the university does all different kinds of things with um, salary studies and how are we going to fix our buildings that need tuck pointing and all that kind of stuff. He was the guy that was behind the scenes saying, here's the smart way to do that. Well, when I found out about that, he had been this musician and I, and I was then doing a whole bunch of experimental stuff in my music lab up in the music building and that, that nobody knew about. I didn't know what I was doing, but we had all these wonderful conversations and I had such a pang of like, I, or maybe it was just before I had just read about the MacArthur grants where they actually say, you're incredibly talented. You're a genius. What we want to do is release you from real world concerns for like five years. We'll pay you a million bucks and just go bring something beautiful into the world. Go, go bring something brilliant into the world. And the Medici's, the, the sponsors of various different things in medieval times, one of the reasons that I was determined to become well, well healed was because I wanted to be that. I wanted to be the one that could say, boy, you really got a lot going on. And sometimes the artistic temperament isn't a very practical one. And people who are determined to create art, they kind of like live in a gantry because they don't take care of business. And right. I didn't want to do it via a an incubator, but I really thought if there's a way that I could do this, just create grants, just give somebody you know, take a year off. I'll, I'll pay for your base needs, 20 K or whatever else it might be. Cause I'm, I'm, I've got it. And I really wanted to be able to do that. And then it took a long time for it not to be only a matter of me, but a matter of the world can say, Hey, if we all kick in 10 bucks, right. Marillion wise, go fund me Kickstarter, you know, crowdfunding wise that, we have that ability now that these guys don't have to say hat in hand. I'm an inventor with a great invention and I know that you're probably going to screw me out of my intermittent wipers, but I don't know where else to go. So here it is. And they open the kimono and people are creating great music, great games. It's very cool that how many, there must be hundreds, if not thousands of things that are now in the world that were created because appreciators were able to say, I'm in, I'll put a hundred bucks up, (laughs) 10 bucks up. You know, I just, I just got an email that says that Zappa documentary that you um, ordered like five years ago, it's finally ready and you're going to get your copy in March. Alex Winter from the, you know, the, the Bill and Ted movies is the guy that was the prime mover of that. Yes. And they got incredible access to the Zappa vaults and the family. And it just is apparently all this great, you know, Zappa recorded everything, either music or video. So they had the, the reason it took so much time is because it was kind of like opening up a pyramid full of treasure and saying, well, start here and take it through it all. So 
that's one of those really proud ones of like, I don't know that the world would have ever said Zappa's gone. He's gone for 30 years now. Is there really interested in, but rabid fans absolutely want to know more, hear more, love him more. And, and so for every one of those cool new things or cool old things that crowdfunding is creating totally hats off to the people that, that put these things together. So, and not only Kickstarter, but there's Patreon, which very much takes it right from what you're saying, patron saints, uh, you know, helping out the musicians, the artists, you know, funding them. And I'm on a couple of those. There's a couple people I follow on there and you get bonuses. They're mostly author stuff. So you get a bonus Q and a, and you can supply questions to get answers direct. You get one of them. I get access to this directory of podcasts and I can look it up with keywords, uh, cool. to, yeah. to be on for author podcasts or whatever you happen. To. So it's kind of like, well, I'm giving you a little bit. You're giving me some back, you know, helping you out. Cause if you keep succeeding, I get more from you. And it's yeah. very much, you know, you feel like you're wearing a crown and passing out the coins. <laughs> I, I, honestly, it really does feel a little bit like that, but I'm, I'm, I'm always inspired by how ingenious people are for, well, here's where we're, we're going to give you something that's not just a, a schmoogie, you know, Hey, you get a t-shirt. It really is why well, you get access of some kind, you get a, a little bit more of a personal relationship. And I know that there's still a wall there, you know, they're not inviting you into their house for sandwiches. And yet there's something very cool about, they acknowledge, I really couldn't be doing what I'm doing without this in, inner circle of 100,000 fans. Um, I really like uh, Carl Palmer's ELP Legacy Band. And one of the amazing things about it is that he has a guitarist and a bassist, no keyboardist for ELP music. That's and great. This, this guitarist plays all of Keith Emerson's parts on guitar. How? How are you that impossibly talented? Well, as you might imagine with COVID lockdown, like they've, they've, how they can't tour, they can't make the money. And so he's one of Paul, um, Bialadovich. I, I, I don't know. His name is a nice jawbreaker of a 20 letter name, but I've tuned into any number of his simulcasts and stuff where he and the bassist are doing fun, interesting, cool things, sometimes beautiful, sometimes like musical mud because they're experimenting. But it's like, I want you to not like leave the industry and go be a roofer. I want you to get through this tough time so that you'll continue to do amazing things on guitar. Right. And there's, I, I tend that maybe music is my biggest thing where I, I sponsor, if you will, in that small way, but many other fans, a lot of bands where it's like, I want you to keep making music. Please don't get disenchanted. Please don't let the economics of it make you stop. You know? and, and for for a connected rant that this boils me sometimes, you get all these budget cuts going on in the schools, and the first thing they're cutting is the arts, the art program, the music, the band. Like that for so long, you, you know? know. The writing clubs, which now you know, but they're making sure to add more to the stadium and have. Uh, better this equipment for the football players and, and people will argue, well, that brings in its own money, blah, blah, blah. But really where are we putting our focus and what's that doing for us? You know, I saw a great, you know, uh, meme, if you will, that was like, you know, Hey everybody, remember that in the times of lockdown, how'd you get through it? Because yeah. of all the artists, the, oh, the oh, books oh. you read, the music you listened to, it wasn't because you had endless oh, no, sports don't. on TV. So. <laughs> don't don't be going on that because even though Jason's not at school, Gina works with some people that uh, have kids at Rootstown and Southeast. And I guess the basketball team, they had to completely shut down because half the team got COVID because oh, they had to play. They had to be on. And they 
took the risk and indeed they their number you know they came up snake eyes oh I, boy I'm, oh, I'm boy. not wishing for this I'm not advocating but what would they do if one of these kids had asthma that hadn't been caught yet and caught COVID and couldn't breathe and ended up dying. What would you say to any parent that, well, we really needed basketball. Sorry, your kid died. I mean, come on. Is it that, does your life need it that bad? Does our, our society have to have basketball from middle schoolers to function? I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. I hear you. You know that honestly, one of the odd benefits of going through all the COVID stuff is you really are getting to see in stark relief what people's values are. And when people are like, I just couldn't help myself, I had to go to the nail salon. It's like, at risk of your life, or, at or risk of your life and of theirs, you had to go to the nail salon, or you had to go to the bar, you had to go watch a sport event, you had to go to music, you had to go to a concert. I just, the the kinds of things that people are so addicted to, so unable to do without it really isn't food, clothing, and shelter. It isn't that whole Maslow's hierarchy of needs pyramid. It's amazing how much the seemingly trivial still have people so firmly in their grip. And it's, oh, my and God. Several <laughs> of my kids work retail. And they've had people like come up to them to ask them questions. And they back off. They're like, could you put your mask on all the way? And the person gets mad and indignant and wants to argue. They're like, you know what? My 85-year-old father, grandfather, who can't breathe and is bedridden lives with me. If I catch something from you, then he's going to catch it and die. You know, if you're that selfish. You have to see that instead of them already. They know that. The stupid, selfish asses know that and they don't care. They're that selfish. They're that self I, you know the, the the creatures of Walmart where people post all the pictures. I want to do one of anti-maskers. Take pictures of people not wearing their mask and post it, and say, "I was at Ravenna Giant Eagle. Look at this person." Yeah. You know? They actually, do, you know, any number of communities, Lakewood, Cleveland, in general, have places to go to that are safe or unsafe. And when they post those kinds of things, hey, I stop by at you know. Um, I don't know, happy taco or something like that. And none of the staff had masks and none of the customers did. And so I'm never going back there until we're out of this. And then they talked about, no, actually I went to get my pickup and they came to the curb even then with a mask on and everything was safe. So where are my patronage dollars going to those places? I want to reward good behavior and I'm not going to reward bad. It's the Uh, same as I've done in past years of going to a store and saying on, on Friday after Thanksgiving and saying, uh, Mr. Manager, just to let you know, I'm here shopping to buy something, not because you had something I knew I wanted. It's because you weren't open yesterday on Thanksgiving. So I made it a point to come here and buy something from you today. And right. I, so I actually penalized not, for not having your people working on Thanksgiving. Yeah. Exactly. And, yeah. and there's actually more and more stores now that will say, we're not open on Thanksgiving. I can go for that. That's, yeah. you know, not, I mean, God, that's a whole nother issue. Back in the day, <laughs> Nobody was open Thanksgiving. And then suddenly they started opening at midnight so people could get Black Friday early. And then they said, well, if we open at 10 p.m., well, if we open at or 6 p.m. on Thanksgiving, then, well, wait a second. Exactly. You know, it's kind of funny. Life changes. Way back when I was in, you know, in school, I'd come home for the holidays. And I had, for a long time, worked first at Corky's, kind of a Burger King knockoff, and then at Walgreens as a stock boy. And any number of Thanksgiving mornings, I went and worked like a six to 10 or a 10 to 12 shift or something. And all I was doing was burning liquor boxes because that's, of course, what everything, you know, there's no more. <laughs> but it really was, it, even what I was doing is like, okay, I get a chance to make a little extra money, you know, whatever. 
And, and so I guess I was one of those people that I'll take the shift midnight at Target because I kind of could use the money. But to force me, if they had called and said, hey, work this Thanksgiving morning shift or you're fired, I would have had the fire in me would have been, you just can't do that. That's just so wrong that this isn't voluntary that it's, I put you on the schedule and you're, you know, I thought, what if I just not show up and go to hell? How about and that? I think that <laughs> you know, Because I grew up with a mother in the health field. So every other holiday, she wasn't home, which we, that was part of life. We understood that going into the whole arrangement, but when it's, I miss Toys R Us, but come on, you don't have to have a toy store open and make people miss Thanksgiving with family to sell family items. I mean, it makes no sense. It's, I'm glad that, that there is now a pushback against that. And it really does seem to be that they're not doing it at all or that they're doing it where it's voluntary. and health. why do that? Because we've got so many on-demand streaming stations, we can just sit and watch stuff now. <laughs> All right. On that note. It does on that note. <laughs> okay. So a good long session today, but we had a lot to talk about. We had yeah. you know, all this had to burble out. So, uh, well, okay. I definitely, once you watch the next two episodes of WandaVision, I really, there's so many things. You might have already spoiled some of it, but I really <laughs> want to get your feedback on some of those and yeah. i'm gonna try and watch some doom patrol uh this weekend we're we're going up to the lake uh to pick up a chair for gina but we plan on uh checking out some frozen lighthouses if we can and Very cool exactly not sure when i'll watch it but yeah it you know it's it's in brief it's wonderful to me because i really don't know what's going to happen next nice after you've seen a lot and you can really call the plot within the first five minutes and tell who the villain is and all that kind of stuff it's even though i've read the comics they're doing a really good what's going to happen next the 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 slow reveal of various different things it's it's fascinating because it's quirky it isn't everybody's cup of tea but it's definitely mine because of the smarts that go into it and the surprise that comes out of it i just don't get surprised that much nowadays and it's wonderful to find something that does it to me consistently. So yay, Doom Patrol. Oh, here's, I'll, I'll throw another one at you. Uh, and and I this the story itself was eh, it was okay. It was predictable, very predictable. Okay. <laughs> but uh, Midnight Sky with George Clooney on Netflix. Okay. Uh, there are some things about it that I was just like blown away by. And it's not the story. George Clooney does a great acting job. All right. But it, the story itself was very predictable but there are some associated things. So if you get a chance to watch that, I'd love some feedback from you on that one. It's and actually my, I, my cue. I like George Clooney enough. And it was one of those things that wasn't top of the queue, but now, I, now I, well, I'll bump it up because I like hearing that someone who I, it was taste. I respect really it, liked it. Okay. For a Netflix movie, it was better than some. Wonderful. Uh, okay. And there, like I said, there are some things they did and choices they made that I applauded and Wonderful. I thought it was good. But again, the story itself is kind of predictable. Okay. <laughs> so <laughs> it'll it'll break me away from my baking show addiction. There so. you go. Yeah, yeah. We gotta break right. that addiction for you. <laughs> All right, Take care, Steve. Bye. <laughs> you have been listening to the Relentless Geekery Podcast. Come back next week and join Alan and Steven's conversation on geek topics of the week. <laughs>